We're currently in a series on the book of Romans, and so this morning we're going to continue in Romans. Uh, this is this incredible letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, where he, was, he, he set out to clearly define what we believe about God and about the gospel. He set out to let us know in a, in a very detailed way, this is what the message of the Bible actually is. Beyond all the things that you've been taught and all the things that you thought it was, this is the message of the gospel. This is the message of the gospel. This is the good news. This is what we have heard from Jesus and about Jesus and are now sharing with you. If you've missed any of these messages, uh, we do have a, an account on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com um, forward slash anchor dash Joburg. You can just search Anchor Church Joburg on SoundCloud, or you can go onto our website, all the, the, um, the anchorjoburg.org, all the messages are up there as well. And you, we've created a playlist on SoundCloud where you can listen to all the messages in Romans. So if you're visiting and you'd like to uh, go on this journey with us through this book, um, we've done about six messages up until today, and uh, you can go ahead and listen to those in your own time. Um, but we ended off last week by, by speaking about, in Romans 5, how, how Jesus, by his one single sacrifice, was able to redeem all of us from our sins. So that through this one thing that Jesus did, just like Adam sinned, and because of him, sin spread to all of us. We're all born into the state of sin, this, this state where we will defy and, and rebel against God because of the nature that we've been born with. It's natural to us now as sinful people to rebel and to reject the truth and the knowledge of God and to disobey Him in every way we can. Even though our hearts in some sense may long for truth and may long for, for goodness, we don't find the strength within us to do the things that we long to do. And so we're, we're born into the slavery to sin. And Paul comes in Romans 5 and he says, but wherever sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. He talks about how grace is so much bigger than sin. And what God has done for us through his son Jesus was an overpayment for your sin. He paid way too much for the sins that we have. So there's no way that you can ever out-sin God's grace. And I showed this photo I, uh, um, last week uh, with Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston in that famous photo. And I was like, this is essentially the picture of the end of Romans 5. It's saying that grace is where, where sin used to reign. Grace now reigns over sin. And we reign in this life because of Christ Jesus. So, so sin is utterly defeated in your life and in my life by the grace of God. It has been put down on the floor. And we looked at that, at that photo and we spoke about how because of what Jesus done, had done, the reign of sin, because before that it says that sin reigned and death reigned. It was, it was king over our lives. It was king over humanity. It, 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 it forced people to obey it because it ruled the land. But because of what Jesus has done, that reign ended. He was the, sin was world champion, and Muhammad Ali came along. The grace of God came along and ended the reign of death and of sin. And so um, Paul reiterates again and again that it doesn't matter how great your sin is, God's grace is far more abundant. 
Now, I know that we all know that theoretically, but do you really know that? Do you really know this morning that in your own life, the stuff that you regret, I was, I was thinking about it yesterday, um, I was here helping the guys set up, and as I was packing out chairs, you know, there's two moments where you kind of go into your thoughts and you kind of lose track of time. The one is when you're in the shower, and you know, you stand in the shower and you're basically like, solve every problem the world has ever had and you'll relive your entire history and you'll you know you'll project you'll make your projections for the future and you know you'll get out of the shower and you're like where did I just come from that was the craziest thing so it's kind of like that when you're stacking chairs as well when you're putting chairs out you just kind of go into this mode where you, and I just started thinking and I started thinking about regret and I started thinking about some of the things that I regret in my own life we've all got stuff that we wish we would have done differently in our own lives. We've all got certain things that we were like, we wish that wasn't our story or we wish that wasn't a part of what we had to deal with. And so we've all got regrets, right? And I'm not one of those people, no regrets, right? Or I don't know if you've seen the tattoo, no regrets. Um, like I do have some regrets, but I just don't ponder on them anymore because, because I've been redeemed. My life is new and God has used all those things to the good, at the end, but it doesn't mean that those moments weren't painful or there's some things that I wish I hadn't done or hadn't said or, or, or avenues or paths that I hadn't have taken. Um, we've all got that, but here's the thing. No matter how many regrets you might have, no matter how many mistakes you might have made, no matter how many things you might have done wrong, even intentionally gone out to do these things wrong, God's grace is far more abundant. And His grace isn't just for your past, it's also for your future. God's grace doesn't just forgive you of what you've done in the past, but it sets up your future. It sets up all the good things that God is still going to cause you to walk in that you do not deserve, that you could never have deserved. So not only are we forgiven of a horrible past, but we get to walk into a glorious future that we could never have earned for our own selves. That's the good news, that God's grace is abundant. It's an overpayment. It is much more. It really doesn't matter what you've done or how badly you've messed up. His grace abounds so much more. These two scriptures I just wanted to reiterate um, this morning. Romans 5.15 says, For if many died through one man's trespass, much more, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many much more abounded. 5.17 says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, once again, much more, will those who receive the abundance of grace, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So there is a much more of God's grace and a much more an abundance of His grace for your life, regardless of what your past looks like. And that's such great news because in my life, I've had so much sin in my life. The word sin essentially means to miss the mark. It's an archery term, which means to miss the mark. It's like God created us in a certain way for a certain purpose, to conduct our relationships uh, in, a, in a certain way. There's a, there's, a, there's a mode that God has designed for us as people to honor Him and to walk with Him and to know Him and to be able to enjoy life as God's children. But all of us have missed the mark. 
All of us have, have operated in a way that God hasn't desired for us to operate in sinfulness. If you can imagine a target standing on the other side of this room and an archer pulling back a bow, pulling back an arrow and, and releasing that arrow, what sin essentially is, is that arrow just completely falling short of the target. God has created us and designed us for a glorious future and we've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short. We've all fallen short in our relationships. We've all fallen short in our own personal lives. We've all fallen short in, in terms of personal holiness and, and, and in loving others and in, in being the people God has created to be. And in my life, there are so many ways that I have missed the mark. And that's why I am so grateful for the abundance of God's grace. I'm so grateful for the fact that wherever my sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. Here's the thing though. When people think about sin, they normally think that about the traditional ways of being sinful, right? So, so we all have certain categories that we throw sin into. And when we talk about being sinful, people go, well, we know that what it means to be bad. It basically means stuff like getting drunk, taking drugs, stealing, you know, murdering, you know, basically what any old person would say about the young people of today, right? Like, you know, they, those kids are out there getting drunk and taking drugs and, you know, sleeping in each other's beds. That's an old movie line. Um, you know, so, so that's normally the traditional view. Yes, there was a flashback for me. A traditional view. Is that from 10 Things I Heard About You? Sleeping in each, those, he's talking about Dawson's Creek. He's like those river kids sleeping in each other's beds. Man, that's a long time ago. Okay. But they take on what was traditionally considered as sinfulness. But sinfulness and the sinfulness of us as people is, is much more than that. It actually comes down to the attitudes of our heart. It comes down to the things that we trust in other than God. It comes down to the lusts that we have in our hearts and in our minds that we don't even share with other people, that we don't even speak about. It comes down to what is happening in the depths of our heart, the selfishness and the self-centeredness that we all live with, that we all display through our lives. Our pridefulness and our, our reluctance to forgive, even our good deeds when they're done with self-interest or when they're done with just a little bit too much self-awareness are ultimately sinful. They're ultimately sinful. You see, being sinful is much more than just doing certain things wrong. It's when our hearts struggle or fail to trust in God and in His righteousness. And instead, we try and make it on our own. Instead, we try and set out on this life. And, and, and whether it's by money, whether it's by filling, fulfilling our lusts, whether it's by trying to be good enough that we can save ourselves, we're ultimately still rejecting our Creator. And so when I really came to understand the gospel, I had to repent more of the things that I had done that I thought was good than the things that I knew that I had done that was wrong. Because I knew that all along I was actually trying to save myself rather than trusting in Jesus. And that's why the scripture tells us in uh, Romans 14, 23, which we'll get to later on, but it says, everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything that doesn't come from your righteousness in Christ, your faith, your knowledge of the fact that you've been made righteous in Christ is sin. It's missing the mark. It's not what God has for your life. It also tells us in Hebrews eleven six that without faith, 
It is impossible to please Him without faith. That means that without me truly understanding and believing in what Jesus has done for me on the cross, it doesn't matter how many good things I do, it still doesn't please God because it's still in the flesh. It's still hostility towards Him. And so sin is much more than just doing the things that we've traditionally labeled. It's an attitude of the heart that separates us from a reliance and a dependence upon the Father. Does that make sense this morning? That's the state of humanity. It is separated from God. Therefore, it's sinful. We've missed the mark. And so, as people, in other words, we've become so corrupted that even the good things that we do, we do with imperfect motives. Like, I'll feed a hungry child, but as long as somebody can Instagram it while I feed that hungry child, please, I want some likes on this. This is, you know... Like, I'll do things that are good, but I just want people to know about it. And if they don't know about it, I'll tell them about it. I'll tell them about how good I am. <laughs> right? That's what we do. And just as a side note, and I'm going to try not to go too long into this, but that's my problem with the idea of karma. Have you heard of karma? We really live in a society that has adopted the ideal of karma. And the idea of karma, which comes from the Eastern religion, basically just says that if I do good things, the universe or somebody, or I don't know who, but good things will come back to me, right? And if I do bad things, karma will cause bad things to happen to me. Here's the issue, though. And I want to ask this to anybody who genuinely believes in karma. If you're doing a good thing, just so that a good thing could happen to you, is it really a good thing? If you're doing something simply because you want to get something out of it, is it really good? Is that really good? Or maybe you're doing it just to avoid something bad happening to you. So I've got to be good because otherwise something bad would happen. To me, it sounds like one big exercise in self-interest, right? It's still just all about us. We're still the center of that universe. We're still the, the ones that are, that, are, that are trying to make a better life for ourselves. But we read something different in the Bible. Something that sounds very different to the idea of karma. Karma, the idea that if I do something bad, something bad will happen to me. And if I do something good, Something good will happen to me. Can I just tell you how much trouble we would all be in if that was true? Right? None of us would even be alive today anymore. Because we have done so many bad things. We would have received so much bad by this point. We wouldn't even, we wouldn't even exist. I am so grateful for the fact that karma isn't true. Because we, none of us are good in our own selves. I heard somebody say, they say, why does good stuff happen to, to bad people? Or, sorry, why does bad stuff, they say that as well, but why does bad stuff happen to good people? They say, well, that only ever happened once, and he volunteered. It only ever happened to Jesus. He was the only person who was truly good and got crucified for it. The rest of us don't deserve anything in our own selves. So that's why the Bible has a different message. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, if, if, if karma was true, Jesus would have waited for us to have earned our redemption before doing anything to redeem us. 
But because grace is true, it says that while you were still committing sin, Jesus was crucified for you. He died for us. That's grace. It looks completely different. And it is the only way that we can be truly free and truly good in this life. In, in this life. Jesus forgives us and died for us, not because we deserved it, not because we were good enough for it, but precisely because we weren't good enough. That's what grace is all about. I read this interview many years ago with uh, Bono, and uh, they asked him about, um, I've got a photo of Bono up there, um, we can just throw up, but I, 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 I read this interview with Bono where they spoke to him about the difference between karma and grace, and this is what he said. He said, it's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put in comes, uh, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, Along comes the idea called grace to upend all of that. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Grace, the love of God, interrupts the consequences of our actions. And it abounds in such an incredible way. So the Bible keeps telling us, where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. But now, this is, really brings me to the point of what I want to talk about today, because, because wherever this is preached, wherever this is said, there's like a, a subtle nervousness that we all have, don't we? Like, if we tell people that wherever, they, wherever grace abounds, uh, wherever sin abounds, grace abounds so much more, and that they can never outsin the grace of God, surely that's going to just push them over the edge. Surely that is the, the, the license that they've been waiting for to finally go out and just live any way that they want. Surely it's dangerous to tell people that where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. And that's why the title of the message I want to share with you this morning is, What About Sin? So what about sin? In everything that we've read up until now in the scriptures telling us that God has redeemed us and that his grace is sufficient, what do we do with sin? And when I preach about the grace of God, am I saying that it's okay for you to live any way that you want? So it doesn't matter if I'm living with my boyfriend and, and, and we're sleeping together or if my, my girlfriend and I are sleeping together and, and we're not married. It doesn't matter because, because where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. It doesn't matter how much selfishness I have in my heart. It doesn't matter how many things um, I, I do to just benefit myself because there's grace. It doesn't matter if I'm dishonest in my business deals or I spread negative half-truths about people I don't like or I get a little drunk every once in a while because surely God's grace will cover it. Is that what grace leads us to say? And this is what I believe. I believe that people who say that are people who haven't yet come to understand what the grace of God really is. They, they just don't get it yet. People who say that grace gives us license to sin 
are people who haven't truly experienced God's grace yet. The Bible tells us that Jesus was grace. He was God's grace to us. It says, and, and from him we received grace upon grace. And so if grace is, is not a doctrine but a person called Jesus, and we say that grace leads us to sin, we're saying that Jesus leads us to sin. When you've truly experienced God's grace, it does something on the inside of your heart. But Paul even recognizes that some people are going to misunderstand this message of grace and are going to say, oh, cool, so Paul is saying we can live any way that we want. Or Adrian is saying you can go out and live any way you want because God's grace is abundant. What do we say then about sin? Is this how it is? If your first thought when you hear about grace is how you can manipulate it to serve yourself a little more, it's evidence that you haven't truly got a revelation of it yet. It hasn't really impacted your heart. But Paul is equally frustrated about this idea that grace means you can just do whatever you want. And so he says this in Romans 6 verse 1. Listen to this. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He talks about the abundance of God's grace and he goes, okay, so what does that mean? Does that mean we could just continue in sin? Because grace will abound whenever I sin? He answers in verse 2 by saying, by no means, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who have died to sin still live in it? If your understanding of grace causes you to say, okay, fine, let's go and sin, then you've missed something very critical in this message. You've missed something about what the grace of God did for us. Because what Paul declares from the beginning of Romans is that all of us have been born into slavery to sin. We're prisoners to sin. Sin is our taskmaster. It reigns over our life. Death is our destiny. We have no way of escape. But then Jesus came to the cross and took all of our sin upon himself. And having nailed that sin to the cross, we have been set free to live a new life. So how on earth does that make us say, okay, cool, so we can sin? That makes us rejoice in saying, cool, we don't have to sin. For the first time ever, we as people don't have to sin. We get the opportunity and the ability to say no, when before we were helpless against the strength of sin. Sin was more powerful than us. There was no way for us to overcome it. But now we are dead to sin because we were crucified with Christ. You've been released. The prison door has been opened up. It's been unlocked. You've been, you've been welcomed into the world. Why on earth would we say, no, 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 it's cool. I'll just live here in this prison cell. Can we live here? Oh, we've got grace. The door's open. That means we get to live in this prison cell. <laughs> Somebody opened the doors. Let's stay. right? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Jesus died so that we could be delivered from sin and death. So why are we even talking about going back to it? Because that part of you is dead. The part of you that, that, that controlled you has been crucified. So Paul con continues here in, in Romans 6 from verse 3. He says, Do you not know that all of you have been baptized into Christ Jesus? 
all of you who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried before, sorry, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. We died to that old life and we've been raised to this new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. There's a better life for all of us. We know that our old self, our sinful self, was crucified with him. Just pause there for a moment. I want you to know that Jesus didn't just die for you on the cross, but he died as you on the cross. This isn't just about changing your life. This is about exchanging your life. You get to say goodbye to the old one and get a brand new one. You're not just modifying and, and perfecting and improving the old one, right? This is not a fixer-upper. This is not an old house that you got and now you're gonna do your best to, to fix all the fittings and, and, and to remodel this house and to renovate it in a way that makes it feel a little bit more livable. This means that you have gotten a brand new house and the old one was demolished. You live in a new space. You're not the old person anymore. It's not who you are. So he says we were crucified with him. So was Jesus crucified on the cross? Yes. Who else was crucified on the cross? Me. I was there. I was on that cross. And so were you. Your sin was physically and literally on that cross with Jesus. We were crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin so that we would no longer be enslaved to it. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion, rulership over him. For the death he died to sin, he died once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now listen to this, verse 11 is so beautiful. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus. Consider yourself dead to sin. Think about yourself dead to sin. Can you look in the mirror? So, many, so often when you look in the mirror, you know when you look in the mirror for just about 30 seconds, it gets weird, right? You feel like the intimacy between you and yourself is too much, right? It's like, whoa, bro, chill, chill. Let's not go that deep. <laughs> it's so hard to look yourself in the mirror and genuinely see yourself as righteous, as blameless. So many times I look in the mirror, I feel discouraged, I look in the mirror, I feel like I failed in so many areas. I look in the mirror, I see all the things I'd love to be better at. I see all my faults, I see all of those things. And you know what I start doing, and this is something I genuinely do, is I start preaching the gospel to myself. I start reminding myself who I really am because the scriptures tell me to consider myself as dead to sin and alive to God. The same way that Jesus was dead and then he was raised and the life that he then lived, he lived to God. That's who you are. That's your genuine and your truest identity. That's the core of the person that you are today. And all you need to do to see it come into activation in your life is start believing it. Start walking in it. Start trusting it. We're dead to sin. I was watching a rugby game 
uh, this weekend and um, the, the, this team scored a try and the one coach got up. He was so excited and he just wanted to high five the other coach. But I don't know what the other coach, I don't know if he was mad about something or if he was just deep in thought, but he just completely ignored him. And this guy was not giving up and the cameras didn't go off of this either. There's a, I was just like, and he would just reiterate every now and again. He's like, I'm here. And then he turned around to try and high five another coach, but there was no one there. So he went back. He went back a second time like, no, no, I'm here and I want to high five you. And that other coach just kept looking, kept his eyes straight ahead. The term dead to sin means that when sin comes to your life and he wants to high five you, he's like, yeah, yeah, let's be buds. Let's, let's do this. You're dead. You don't even know he's there. You leave sin hanging. Sin is totally embarrassed by the fact that you're not meeting it. We get to leave sin hanging. We don't have to high five every time sin wants to party. We don't have to answer. Consider yourself dead to sin. You're dead to it. It's nothing to you. You're dead to sin and alive to God. And that's the message of the Bible, what Jesus came to do for us, that we were born with this sinful nature that was ruled by sinful desires but Jesus put that body of death to shame. He put it away. He buried us in that old self and resurrected us as people who are no longer slaves. No longer slaves. Don't have to say yes. Don't have to do it. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Romans 6 verse 12 says, therefore, so you're dead to sin, right? Sin is trying to high five you. You don't even have to look in that direction. So verse 12, he says, let not the sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't give sin that opportunity because you're dead to sin. You're a new person. You don't have to allow it to reign again. You don't have to give it any form of rulership again. You don't have to say yes to it in any way. You don't have to give it any territory or ground in your life because you've been set free. You're no longer a slave. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You see, that's what sin will do. Even though we're dead to sin, sin will keep knocking on the door and say, hey, just give me some space in this house. Just give me a small room. I can stay in the basement or I can just hang out somewhere where you can hide me. People don't have to know that I live here. We don't have to, you know, you, you, can, just, you can just keep me hidden. Just give me some territory in your life. And before you know it, sin has, has taken over your daily life again, has convinced you that you're still a sinner, has convinced you that you're not really free, has convinced you that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't completely sufficient to set you free from sin, and all of a sudden, before you know it, you're obeying its passions, even though you are free. It's like a slave mentality that we struggle to break free from. I remember seeing the image of a baby elephant being tied up to a tiny little stake in the ground. And you can go and Google this. These images are online. And they would take a chain and chain this baby elephant to a small stake. And no matter how hard that little elephant tried, it wasn't strong enough to move that stake out of the ground. And then one day, there's a photo of this same elephant as an adult, a six-ton elephant that can lift 400 kilograms with its trunk alone. But whenever he's chained to that little pole, he just stands there. Yeah, I can't move that. 
because he was conditioned into believing that he is not capable of overcoming that restraint. And that's why the message of grace is the most important attack on sin that has ever come into this world. If we want to be free from sin, we need to know that God's grace has abounded in our lives because what it tells us is that this thing no, no longer holds us. We're no longer held by the restraint of sin. God has set us free. So don't let sin reign in your life. Don't give it rulership again. Muhammad Ali already knocked Sonny Liston out. Don't let him get back up. Don't let him get back up. Ring the bell. It's over. Don't let him get back up. Don't let it rain in your body again to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You literally get to use every part of, your, of, of who you are, your mind, your body, your emotions, your will, the person that you are, your personality. You get to use it to honor God. And that's not something that you have to do. That's something that you get to do. That's a freedom we now have that we never had before. We get to live in this brand new way. So don't, don't, just don't offer your, yourself up for unrighteousness anymore. Offer yourself up as instruments of righteousness. I remember um, my uncle telling me the story. My uncle is a very, very decorated veteran um, and has fought in many, many wars. He was the head of the Parabat Special Forces. Um, if you see his little, he's got all these medals and, and they actually, his jacket basically, uh, there's a photo that I saw of him the other day, he has his jacket on and then he, he has like a whole, basically like a, like a beam hanging off of his jacket. So the medals kind of go out beyond his jacket. He kind of like has to move his arm in with all these medals that he's got. He's this very, he was this very high ranking official and has um, been fighting in different wars uh, for most of his life. And um, he told me the story about how he once got um, to the army base and there was an, a, 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 a senior uh, ranking official there and he thought that this guy outranked him and they weren't sure about the ranking at that moment. And so uh, however it came to be, this guy then started making my uncle do push-ups. And so he was like, you know, he's an army man, so if he thinks this guy outranks him, he's doing push-ups. And so he was just doing push-ups and push-ups and push-ups and push-ups and push-ups. And this guy was making them all run and making them do all these things. And then later on, my uncle found out that he actually outranked that guy. And so he was like, I'm going back. I'm going back. And so he told me he went back and made the guy do double everything that he did just because he made him do so many push-ups. And so sometimes we allow sin to reign when actually we reign over sin. Sin is making us do the push-ups, but instead we can go back to sin and say, no, you do the push-ups because we outrank you because of Christ. There's a defeat that has taken place. There's a ranking that has, taken, that has, that has been given. So don't let sin bully you. You hear me, church? Don't let sin bully you. If there are things in your heart that you know that you're doing right now that are wrong, don't try and become better in your own strength. Trust in the fact that you already have the victory over sin and simply say no. And make the decisions that sin is whispering in your ear to, not to make. Because you can, because you're free. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. Verse 14, I love this verse. 
It says, for sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. That's incredible. Why does sin not have dominion over us? Because we're no longer under the law. You see, what we don't realize is that if you pick up your Bible and you start reading principles about how you're supposed to be better and how you're supposed to live your life, and you read all of these principles in your Bible, and you go, I'm going I'm to put myself under this law, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to do it. Do you know what you're doing? You're strengthening sin. The Bible says that the strength of sin is in the law. Because what does the law do? It stirs up rebellion within us. Paul says, I was alive before the commandment came, but then it came and I died. Because I saw the things that I was supposed to do and then tried very hard to do them and realized that I couldn't. And so the commandment, which is good and was supposed to bring life, actually brought death to me because I'm a sinner sold into slavery to sin. Like when I went to go and, and uh, go to the dentist one time, and there was this big sign, but it was just really obnoxiously big, in, you know, just below the counter, where it's like got a cell phone and like one of those big red, like no cell phones. And so all I wanted to do was pick, I didn't think about a cell phone before then, but then I, all I wanted to do was like be on my cell phone. I just phone anybody now. Or when there's a sign, uh, when I went into a complex one that says, please, no hooting, but it's like got an exclamation mark, it's like, so serious about you not hooting, then all I wanted to do was hoot. Because, because the law stirs up rebellion. But here's the bigger reason. Why does, why does being under grace mean that you are no longer under the dominion of sin, but living according to the law puts you under the dominion of sin? Why? Because if you're still trying to be right with God according to the law, you are not believing that you are already right with God. And if you don't believe that you are already right with God and walking in the righteousness that God has given you, there is no way for you to have dominion over sin. So if you're living as if you're still waiting to become righteous, you're not righteous yet and you're trying very hard to be righteous, which is somewhere you're never going to get, then guess how you're going to live as someone who's unrighteous? Because like, I'm not righteous yet, so while I'm over here, I'm unrighteous, so I might as well just be unrighteous. But if you know that you're under grace, you know that all of your sins have already been forgiven, completely wiped out by Jesus, and you are now the righteousness of God by your faith in Christ Jesus. So you're not trying to become righteous. righteous. By grace, you already are righteous. And so when you believe that, what do you get to do? Live as someone who already is righteous. You put yourself under the law, you're declaring yourself as unrighteous. You put yourself under the grace of God, you're saying, I am the righteousness of God by my faith in Christ Jesus. Sin, I'm leaving you hanging. There's no high five for you today. I don't need to answer your call because I'm under the grace of God, because I'm righteous, because I've been set apart, because I'm, 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 I'm holy and blameless in the sight of God. Consider yourself. Consider yourself dead to sin, alive to God. Paul ends in Romans 6 by saying, thanks to God, thanks be to God. Those who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. From the heart, they became obedient to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. They've heard the gospel and they've become obedient from the heart. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. 
I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. This is not a perfect picture, but just to help you understand it in human terms. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. And later on, he says, and eventually to eternal life. And I used to read that scripture just to be totally honest and be like, okay, great. So in no situation am I not a slave <laughs> because I'm either a slave to sin or I'm a slave to righteousness. And until I started thinking about that term and I realized that slaves, the one thing that they cannot do is run away. If they run away, their master will find them and bring them back into slavery. And I used to be a slave to sin. I would try to escape sin. I would, how many of you have tried to be better? Come on, I have written sometimes on calendars I'm going to be sinless until this date. That's my goal. Just like three sinless days. Let's do this, Adrian. We can do this. And I, I wouldn't make it three hours. I couldn't escape. But what the scripture says is because of the grace of God, I'm now no longer a slave to sin, but I am a slave to righteousness. Think about how hopeful that is. That means that in time, when my flesh wants to run away from my righteousness, when I go, want to go be and go be Go back to being the old person I used to be. Righteousness will hunt me down and bring me back. No, you are the righteousness of God. No, 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 but I've got all these desires and I've got all these things and maybe I should just live for myself. No, 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 no. That's not who you are anymore. You are now a slave to righteousness. And being a slave to sin leads to destruction and to death. But being a slave to righteousness giving myself obedient from the heart. This, the Bible often uses the word bond servant, which is the idea of somebody who has sold themselves into slavery. From the heart, becoming obedient to righteousness, what does it lead to? It leads to sanctification. In other words, you're being changed and transformed even more and more to look more and more like Jesus. You're, you're being changed as you walk in righteousness. And eventually it leads to eternal life. And so this is the incredible thing that Jesus has done for us. And so I can imagine Paul pulling his hair out, being like, why are you talking about going back to sin? And why are you saying that the message of grace is that you can go and sin? You've completely misunderstood what this is about. It means that you are free. It means that you are dead to sin and alive to God. So don't let sin reign in your body anymore. Trust the Lord. Now, I want, I want you to know this, and I'm finishing on this. I want you to know that we cannot overcome sin in our own strength. I have tried a thousand times. I have made a hundred promises to God, all of which I've broken, right? Anybody else have done that? You cannot go out and go, right, from today, I'm sinless, and I'm going to just do it in my own strength, and now I'm going to work very hard, and I've got to make a quick list of things I shouldn't do anymore. No, what you should do is look to Jesus. Consider yourself as united with him in death, resurrected with him in the newness of life, and walk according to the righteousness that is already yours. Trust God. If there are areas that you're still struggling in, trust God to help you overcome. Don't focus on the sin. Focus on the righteousness. Don't focus on what you're doing wrong. Focus on who you are in Jesus, and you will in that find the power to stop doing what is wrong. Does that make sense to everybody? I really hope that this uh, message uh, 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 helps you 
understand the fullness of what you've received in Christ. Um, and that's why we, what we want you to know uh, here at Anchor Church, we will at times as leaders in, in one-on-one conversations call out things that we think is unhelpful in people's lives, like as leaders with my own kids. If, if, if my own kids uh, come home and, and my son's on drugs, because I'll be old by then and I'll say that young people are on drugs, and, and so if my son's on drugs, I'll say, you know, I, I would be concerned and I would sit him down, but here's the thing. I'm not going to help him overcome that addiction if I tell him that I don't love you anymore and I'm gonna kick you out of the house because you're on drugs, right? It's not condemnation that turns our hearts around. It's by me saying, my boy, I know who you've been created to be and I believe in more for your life. And dad doesn't want you to be held up or held back by anything. So don't do this because you've already been set free. You don't have to do this. You're already loved. You're already accepted. Don't do it. And so we will have those those personal conversations with people whenever we feel like it's helpful to help them along that journey and help them realize who they really are. But before we wanna talk about what people are doing wrong, we wanna help them understand what Jesus has done for them and the righteousness that they already have. Does it make sense this morning? So this is what I love about going through a book of the Bible like this. You, you just can't skip the hard parts. You kind of have to deal with it. It's right there and we're gonna have to talk about it. So, and that's why we get such a beautiful picture of the gospel. And I hope that you're encouraged this morning to know that if there's one thing you remember, when sin comes to high five you, just leave it hanging. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray together.